Welcome to another episode of Up To. Nine years ago, Up To started as a live event series showcasing leaders who are as humble as they are successful. The humility piece is extremely important as we identify leaders who can inspire others. We try to focus our interviews on the non-business aspects of their lives. And in doing so, we have found there's a real thirst to explore their hearts and minds in atypical ways. Our host, as always, is Adam Kaufman. And on this episode, we are joined by John Bentheim. If you're a business owner, an executive, or a rising member of a management team, I don't have to tell you about the importance of having team members and partners you can trust. A firm that I've worked with for years and have trusted myself to refer my colleagues to is Vividfront, an award-winning digital marketing, branding, and website development firm based in Cleveland, Ohio, but with clients all over America. Vividfront's focus is on scaling brands digitally. They create holistic return on investment centric strategies and solutions for middle market companies who wanna grow. They do paid advertising, influencer and social media marketing, e-commerce strategies, lead generation websites, I could go on. Their expertise is expansive and their tactful leadership team, all of whom I know, has the entrepreneurial experience to turn ideas into revenue producing business plans. Yes, I am reading a script, but I will tell you that I sought Vivid Front out for this podcast because I already believed in them, seeing what they did in the marketplace. So if you're seeking a partner to take your business to the next level, or if you're looking for an opportunity to work for a top agency with an amazing culture, truly an amazing culture, check out their website at vividfront.com or send me a note and I'll introduce you to my friends who run the company there. Vivid Front, great organization. Our guest today is president of a real estate investment holding company with operations located exclusively in California and Nevada. Investing personally in real estate for more than 40 years, he has owned apartments, surgery centers, office buildings, condominiums, model homes, industrial buildings, RV parks, and convenience centers, pretty much everything. He also founded Inland Homes in 1994 and has specialized in providing equity funding for real estate transactions. Previously, he was president of Benditol Incorporated, an apparel manufacturer in Los Angeles. But to characterize today's guest solely as a real estate investor would be a significant understatement of the vast ecosystem of businesses and other pursuits he oversees. He's formed a bank. He's invested in technology. He's invested in retail. I've eaten with him at a restaurant I believe he partially owns as well. Remember that? He even led the purchase of his hometown newspaper a few years ago, the Beverly Hills Courier. Our guest today is the past chairman of the Cedars-Sinai Board of Governors, a hospital which was ranked number two in America last year. He's also served as chairman of the L.A. Sports and Entertainment Commission, which even if our listeners don't know what that commission is. I know they have seen what it does, including things like last night's national championship football game and last year's Super Bowl. He has also chaired the Beverly Hills Chamber of Commerce, and our guest is a super salesman because he even got me, a Cleveland resident, to become a member of the Chamber of Commerce of Beverly Hills. I'm sure uh, the only one from Ohio, let alone Cleveland. He continues to serve as a board member of many organizations, too many to list here, but one I found of particular interest was the L.A. Dodgers Foundation. I've witnessed him in action as a tireless fundraiser for charities that are often focusing on children or education or health, and he's also really involved with his alma mater, the University of Southern California. Now, you may think that someone this used to success and action and attention would jump at a chance to be on a podcast. Quite the contrary. A sign of his true humility, today's guest actually declined my overtures many times during the past several years to be on the program. He really doesn't love being the focus of anything, but that's why I'm so thrilled to have him with us today. John Bendheim, welcome to the Up To Podcast. Adam, thank you so much. That was a great uh, introduction. Wish my mother was alive to hear that, but uh, the family <laughs> will love it. Thank you. What have you been up to? 
just all kinds of fun, fun things in uh, a lot of these different areas. It's, uh, it's been a whirlwind, but uh, very exciting things in, in some of those areas that you talked about. Well, I mean, you are up to so many different things. I call this show somewhat whimsically up to because I always like knowing what people are up to. But for instance, in the, in, you know, the beginning of 2023, like what are, you, what are you focusing on right now and anything really captivating your attention? You know, I think, uh, you know, we've accumulated 80 acres on the strip in uh, Las Vegas, and we've done that since 2001. And we've seen Las Vegas grow. And again, this, this land uh, is kind of in the south strip, south of uh, Mandalay Bay. And, you know, during that tenure, they've brought a hockey team in and they built the, uh, the Raiders uh, Stadium a mile from us. So it's been very, very exciting. And again, the, the whole uh, initiative in, in Las Vegas now to bring a football team to Las Vegas, I mean, a, a basketball team, sorry, basketball team to Las Vegas. So it's very exciting sitting there. And, you know, we have a RV park with my partners, Ray Caragli and, and uh, everybody else. And we have about 700 spaces there. We're happy to be the official uh, RV park of the Las Vegas Raiders, but this could be very, very exciting for the city and for us uh, to bring an NBA team because of, you know, hockey and football. Very, very excited about what can happen because, again, over the last 21 years, it's been, uh, it's been so exciting to see Las Vegas grow and uh, we've had a lot of fun there. So that's one of your many pursuits, a, a big one. I've, I've heard you talk about your interest in uh, Vegas real estate before. Uh, how about there in your home of Los Angeles? What have you been working on there? I know you've been really excited about SoFi Stadium, and you had me out there not too long ago. And do you think a lot of what happened there around the stadium and kind of building back a maybe underdeveloped community where that was uh, built could something similar occur on your land in Vegas, or is it a totally different type of situation because of the, the huge gaming industry there? Yeah, I think it's going to be close to do what uh, they did in uh, down at uh, the cryptocurrency uh, area, formerly known as Staples, where mm -hmm. they put a uh, an entertainment center and a hotel and obviously the Staples Center for the Lakers and the Clippers and the Kings and things like that. So that that could go in Las Vegas sooner mm. than, than everybody thinks. Well, I recognize your, your cool uh, L.A. office there. Where I've walked up those back steps many times to, to come meet with you. Uh, real estate is what we started with, and real estate is maybe what you're no, most known for. But yeah, there's also, I know, a, a retail store down below you that um, you've had me in before, and um, we've talked about so many other businesses that you've had interest in. Walk me through like a typical day. Like you, you, you start your day. You have so many different things in your life. Like how do you, what is your, what does a typical day look like for you when you're in Los Angeles? Well, it's, it's funny because, you know, I get my hands into everything. And again, it's very difficult for me to watch the grass grow here, Adam. So <laughs> yeah. I'm very, uh, very busy looking at lots of different, and that's, you know, my modus operandi is to, you know, diversify and, and be in some of those areas. And, you know, you mentioned the Sports and Entertainment Commission. You know, we hosted the uh, Super Bowl and then the championship game uh, yet last night for TCU and Georgia. And coming up is the uh, World Cup, which is gonna be played in, in LA and obviously Canada and uh, Mexico, but we'll have five games here at probably at SoFi Stadium. It's gonna be so exciting in 2026. And then we have the uh, Olympics in 2028. So that, uh, that's gonna make LA, you know, just absolutely one of the predominant cities uh, in, in America. So great to be here and so much action to see. But, uh, you know, typical day, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the paper, we always have our sales meeting, you know, on a Mondays to talk about what's happening in the cities and some of the activities that uh, hotels and retailers and uh, restaurants and things like that. So we talk about what's going on there. It's very exciting to see Beverly Hills grow 
the way it has with a lot of different projects, including the Amman Resorts, and the uh, Cheval Blanc Hotel, which is uh, Bernard Arnault's uh, concept, and uh, Mandarin Oriental, play, you know, things like that. So, so exciting to be here, you know, in Beverly Hills and watch that grow. And, uh, you know, other things that are involved in doing some multifamily development in opportunity zones. Mm. So the city, obviously there's not enough housing for, you know, everyone here. And we found little different pockets. This happens to be in Melrose Hills, which is really a place. It's not Beverly Hills, but it's, you know, gentrifying like uh, Silver Lake and Koreatown and Echo Park. And so we're going to be doing, you know, some fun things there. So uh, I look forward to uh, building those and renting them out and uh, bringing more housing to uh, L.A. Mm. It seems like like when I'm walking around with you, every restaurant, somebody's waving to you or whenever we're in a meeting, somebody's calling to you. How do you decide like what to get involved in and what to pass on? I'm sure you're stimulated with so many different opportunities. So how do you know what to jump into and when, when not to? Yeah, I mean, I want to get back to the community. And I think that's the message with a lot of people, including yourself. And so, you know, like you've said, I've been the chairman of the uh, Chamber of Commerce, the chairman of the uh, Conference and Visitors Bureau here, was on the board of the Wallace Hannenberg Performing Arts Center because I'd love to have, you know, putting more culture here. So, um, you know, I know a lot of people, and obviously I've told you before, it's not hard to be nice to people. And uh, no quid pro quo in the sense that, hey, you do me a favor, I'll do you a favor. I don't, I don't work like that. I only give. And uh, it's hard to say no to your point with mm. uh, people and friends and helping the different communities and things like that. That's why I wanted to, you know, help the Dodger Foundation because they're building these parks, you know, baseball parks, you know, in Compton and South LA uh, and, you know, helping some of the, you know, underserved uh, mm -hmm. population children to, you know, get on the field, uh, exercise, you know, produce sports and things like that. So that's been a lot of fun, but it's building these sites that really uh, excite me. So let's just stick with that one for a moment. So you're approached presumably by somebody else who's on the board. Hey, uh, we'd love to nominate you to be on this foundation called the LA Dodgers Foundation. And then immediately you say yes to that or do you think about it? Like some successful people have literally like business plans about their life. And like if it doesn't fall into their plan, they say no to things. It helps them to say no easier. If it doesn't have their, their goal, their life, their life goals. Am I hearing you say that one of your major goals is to help the community? So this fit in helping the community. But I imagine there's so many other things that help the community, but you still can't say yes to everything. Right. It's very, you know, very difficult, as you know, because I see uh, a lot of people are asking me for, uh, you know, charitable donations and very, uh, you know, very concerned about, you know, what, what they have and try and help. But it's, uh, it's pretty massive. So I... Uh, try and keep it to a minimum and, you know, sparse it out, you know, each year. So I don't have evergreen grants and things like that, that, that right. we do. So, uh, and you serve on a lot of boards. So in addition to the dollars, it takes time almost. And I don't mean to be flippant about the financial commitment, but almost the dollars is the easier part. The harder part is the time you might put in to monthly meetings or committee meetings. So I, I, I'm always in awe of someone like you who's on so many different boards. Yeah. So, you know, one of them you mentioned is the Cedar sinai Board of Trustees, which I've been on. And again, that's giving back. I, uh, you know, I get a call every day to help, you know, with, you know, giving them doctors. And again, like you said, uh, Cedars is now the number two in the, in the country, uh, as far as hospital medical centers. And mm -hmm. it's just so fulfilling to me, uh, when people call and said, listen, I need this for my wife, my daughter, my husband. Uh, and can you give us, you know, a world-class doctor? Cause mm -hmm. we need help. Mm -hmm. That's you know, what I really enjoy is kind of helping people and giving them you know, access to the greatest medical center, you know, certainly right. west of the Appalachian Center. 
Right. Well, actually, that's the context in which you and I first met is my old line of work when I was the hired president of a health organization, and we were trying to serve frankly successful families in Los Angeles and everyone told me I had to meet John Bentime and I had to get Cedar Sinai involved in what we were doing. You remember this, right, John? And yeah, sure. just, to pro just, to, just to provide some context, because it, it, uh, you kind of walked into a question I wanted to, to drill down on a little bit. Something about you that I've always been impressed with is how you have relationships with people from all different persuasions different political persuasions, different sides of a business uh, situation, uh, certainly different geographies, different, uh, every way people can be different, uh, I've seen you have relationships with those different types of people. So when I first met you, honestly, I was coming into a situation where people before you and me got in arguments and it was a kind of a bad business situation and you treated me, though, I was so intimidated meeting you. You treated me like I was in that first lunch, like the most important guy in the world. And I've just always been, and you, but that's how you treat everybody. And that's what's so impressive is in spite of the business dealings of the past or in spite of the fact that I was just some young dude from Cleveland who didn't know anything about Los Angeles, you really took the time to show me the ropes, to help me navigate Los Angeles, Cedar sinai specifically. And it just illustrates one of your extremely, I think, enviable qualities of having these relationships with all types of people. I don't know if you've ever even thought about that, but it's it's really special. Yeah, no, I, I learned that lesson. You know, I came out from New York to go to Los Angeles and to go to USC and get my business degree and my MBA there. And Adam, I didn't know anybody, literally no one in Los Angeles. Huh, and my father dropped me he said, you know, good luck, you know, now start your life. And I was so appreciative of anybody, like you just said, that, you know, looks me and looked me in the eye and just, uh, you know, took me to dinner or to their house or, you know, just showed some, some kindness. And I never forgot it. And I said, you know, that's, that's what I want to do. And that was the lesson that I learned because, again, I built up a great network by being nice, right? and not, you know, asking for favors. So, you know, it's the same thing that I, you know, when I met with you, how can, you know, how can I help? How can I help anybody, especially if they're new to this town and very daunting to, uh, you know, matriculate here and, and very go through this maze here, very daunting, as you yeah. said. So, yeah. you know, I learned that lesson and it's not hard to be nice to people. And, it's not uh, hard, but I it's rare. It's my not life. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you. It's not hard, but it it is rare. And you know that. I mean, I'm sure you meet with people as well, and they're so full of themselves. I do all the time. But when I first came out to L.A., and this was 15 years ago, and I was you were one of my first meetings, and you, you were and still remain like my main chaperone, my mentor, my advisor in Los Angeles. You know that. I'm not stroking your ego because you're on the program. You already know those things. But when I was preparing to meet with you, at first uh, I would like go online and try to read what I could about you, and I saw like pictures of you with Magic Johnson or with like Steve Perry or Aerosmith or ambassadors and the mayor. And I'm like, how on earth am I going to meet with this, this gentleman? Who is John Benheim? But it's just remarkable that even to this day, you continue to be that way. And now I see new people in your life that you're trying to help as well. So it's, it's like a bottomless pit of uh, kindness that you have that you think is no big deal, but it really is rare, especially in the business world. And frankly, especially in like wealthy pockets like Los Angeles or Boca Raton or, you know, those types of places, Geneva, Switzerland, where I've spent time, most people are so full of themselves. So whoever taught you that, or I know your dad dropped you off, but I don't know how you came up with that motif, that modus operandi, but it, it's working for you. Yeah, no, I, I'm, you know, obviously very humble, and very appreciative of, uh, you know, people being nice to me. And uh, that's how I live my life out. I wish more people could do that. Well, let's, let's go back a little bit in time, even before I met you. And I guess when you were um, around 40, that you decided to change your careers. And I hear from a lot of our podcast listeners who are early or mid-career, and often they're really digesting the life lessons that our guests uh, share. 
So can you talk a little bit about the decision to change careers? What were you doing before you decided to get into real estate? And was it like a really big decision that you thought about over a long period of time? Or was it more opportunistic and a, and a quick move? Yeah, so I grew up uh, in a textile family. Okay. And my father and his uncles, they started their textile company in 1898 and, you know, quote, unquote, kind of rebuilt the South with mills and uh, wow. very, very involved in I got a chance to go and work in the summer, you know, in some of those mills. So, and my father uh, was was very passionate about uh, about the business, and he sat me down one day, and uh, you know, at night he says, "Son, I'm I'm going to tell you one word that's going to change your life." And this is not a joke, but he said uh, the word was polyester, and uh, <laughs> oh I remember it to this day. And uh, Again, that's when it was very, very hot. So I did that. And then, you know, when I graduated uh, from that my like MBA, a movie scene. Into... That's like a movie scene. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it, it was, uh, I think, what was that movie from that they said? Uh, right, with the young, uh, the young guy and the older woman. Yeah. Right. So anyways, fun, fun, to, you know, relating to that. And then uh, when I uh, graduated, I went into the apparel business and to the... Uh, Basically, to the retailers like uh, Kmart and J.C. Penney, and um, who else? Um, so after college, you went years. into. So after college, you went into the textile industry, but not for the family business yet. So I didn't go in the family business. I went into the apparel uh, business. So a little okay. different. I mean, you need textile to produce yeah. that, but uh, great thing here, and we had a chance to go down to Bentonville, Arkansas, and meet Sam Walton. Whoa! Uh, you know, on a Saturday, on a Saturday, and uh, it was unbelievable because you would go into uh, this little auditorium, and they would have all these charts about how Walmart's going to beat J.C. Penney and Kmart and Sears, and you know there were cheerleaders and things like that. And then Sam came out, and the group that I was with said, "You know, do you do you guys have an 800 number?" And our group said, "You know, yes, we do." Uh, and he says, that's great because we call our suppliers collect. And oh this gosh. was the, <laughs> the most amazing thing I'd ever seen Adam, in my lifetime. And so it was fun. And I got to, you know, run around uh, the Orient and uh, to Bangkok and, and uh, to Hong Kong and to Korea and things like that. And that was, you know, so much fun as being young right out of college, you know, you could, right. you could go all day and all night and uh, travel around the world. So I was gone, you know, two, two, three weeks a month uh, mm. in that, in that business, which was a lot of fun. And then got married and then we had a, a child. And um, again, at that point, a lot of the retailers were going bankrupt. And the trick was theirs to go, you know, declare bankruptcy and give you 10 cents on the dollar and come back, you know, the next week and, and remain in business. So that was uh, a little dicey. And, and, you know, I saw a lot of my friends doing very well in the, uh, in the real estate business and said, you know, let's, uh, let's, you know, I've been doing a little bit of uh, investing and now we went to, uh, to it full time. So started, at this uh, point, excuse me, at this point, were you living in Los Angeles or were you still back East? Yes. No, always living in Los Angeles. I never left Southern okay, California so after I okay. graduated. Gotcha. Love the weather, love the right. outdoors, and right. love the traveling. So, right. So you stayed in LA. You're, I interrupted you, but now you were seeing your your friends getting into real estate. You were dabbling in it. Now you're around forty years old, and this is what in the ninety, like the mid nineties. Yeah, nineties. Yeah, eighty eight. Basically, that was you know an opportunity because. You know, the real estate market was going down and I was, you know, coming into it. So that was, you know, kind of fun and uh, learned learned a lot of different, you know, lessons, uh, including, um, like I, I mentioned to you before, uh, you know, we, we started a bank in 2008. Wait, so let me interrupt here. So group. let me get the timing. Yeah. So you decide, okay, I'm out of this textile world because people are going bankrupt and you get out entirely or did you start dabbling in real estate and first kind of testing the waters when we closed you know we closed our business and you did you did you, know, you closed the business so you had to you had yeah, to the, invent the, a new you the partners 
Yeah, so the okay. partners closed the business. And said, okay, what's our next, uh, you know, lifestyle here? And uh, right. again, looking around, and I was always uh, infatuated with real estate. So okay. uh, we started doing that, and that's what was the impetus of, you know, putting together a syndicate to to buy some acreage in uh, Las Vegas, and that also transformed into buying buildings uh, here in uh, Beverly Hills, which I'm in here, and we bought a number of those, and so. That was that was a lot of fun, and we right. accumulated, you know, that eighty acres, you know, starting in, you know, mm. two thousand. And you've held held it for a long time through through good and, and bad times, I know. So then, all right. So I'm now getting a better picture of that transition. So now you're full bore in real estate, and so of course you do the typical next step of once you're in real estate to start a bank, like everyone else does. I'm being facetious. No yeah. one does that. <laughs> And my first deal in the real estate business was in Bakersfield, California, and it was a Ponzi scheme. The partners were, you know, bringing in new money and paying out old money. So I had mm. to go up and, and live there with my partners for, you know, a number of years. And we did uh, some uh, fun things with uh, single family homes. You know, we put in the sewers and the, the roads and, and things like that and, and sold the lots to uh, builders. And that was, you know, a lot of fun, and we and we did well. But it was uh, a crash course in uh, development. We got that done, and uh, then, as you mentioned, you know, we started a uh, a bank in two thousand eight. And here's where the contrarian comes through: is that uh, with this other, with these great friends of mine and group, um, you know, especially Bob Barth. But the we started this bank, and and everybody said, well, you you've lost your mind. Why right. would you start a bank in, in 2008? There's a yeah. Here. yeah, and the banks are going out. And, you know, we said, well, we don't have a bad loan. And we got 350 of our close friends to buy the shares and put some deposits in. And, you know, ultimately, eight years later, we sold it. So and it went public, very, though, too, right? Well. I mean, it, it's not just a little bank. Yeah, I mean, it was a, a big project. Yeah, no, it was it was it, was, it got big. I'll tell you that. Uh, and uh that was the, again, the contrarian, you know, for me. And the same thing in Las Vegas, you know, during that time, you know, nine, 10 is we're buying more land. And everybody said, you know, again, you've lost your mind because <laughs> Las Vegas is the worst city in the world and will never come back. And I said, well, you know, it's contiguous to our other land. And we have this great frontage on Las Vegas Boulevard. And, you know, I'm a long-term investor, Adam. I'm not a, mm -hmm. you know, a flipper, quick, mm -hmm. you know, quick, uh, quick guy that to make a buck. But uh, so we really uh, sat there and said, you know, we'll hold this thing for 20 years. I, I have no, no issues with that. And, you know, it turned out to be you know, pretty good. You oh. must have a really uh, strong risk tolerance, like a, a strong countenance in your in your gut to like, take things to the edge and go for it. I mean, not a lot of people have that countenance. My day job of venture capital, you know, it's not for everybody. But have you always been highly risk tolerant or is this just one of the ways you've observed how to increase your, your, your personal wealth and take the chances? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's a great point because, um, you know, when you're young or younger, you'll take those risks. So somebody asked me, uh, I don't know, just last week, um, speaking about being the contrarian, would you buy, and I'll ask you, Adam, would you buy cryptocurrency now? I think about that about three times a day, actually. <laughs> I don't think I would. And I'm a risky guy. And so uh, the answer to me was like, no, I've got you know some other areas, you know, real estate and things like that that are a little more long term. So the answer is no. So my risk tolerance, to your point, if there's anything, you know, that's been, you know, beaten down and, you know, with this FTX and things like that, probably the great time to buy it. But uh, I think at this you know, point in my life, it's not worth you know, gambling because right. I have a daughter and, you know, uh, she'll, she's learning the real estate business. So why, oh, why good. take that risk? So, right. you know, it's, it's age, age will do it to you. 
So yeah, you're not doing it with cryptocurrency, which is understandable, but you do take a lot of risk by holding speculative land for decades and uh, the borderline of the desert, so to speak. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm generalizing here, but I mean, you do have a, uh, a high risk tolerance level, which is uh, tremendous. But yeah, most people, the older they get, the lower the, the risk tolerance is, and that's, that's normal. Uh, but that's great that you're getting your daughter involved in, in the family enterprise too. Maybe she'll bring back some more risk given her age, her youthfulness. No, she already has. She's uh, in a, a town called Joshua Tree. Oh, uh, they're wow. Building these, and she's in a group that's building these containers for you know a hotel uh, because they're environmentally impactful. They, they don't want you to come in with uh, Hilton or Marriott or Ritz right. or whatever that right. is. So mm. these, uh, these containers, like shipping containers, really appeal to the kids and they'll do yoga and uh, they'll be hiking and things like that. And then she's uh, doing hostels in uh, Puerto Escondido in Mexico, which is the new surf town. So mm. she's uh, she's getting it for me. But again, she's, you know, 30 years old, so she can take these right. risks. And right. again, we have, a, you know, 20, 40 year, you know, horizon uh, for that. So. That's yeah, the, where, that's where the, that comes the in. containers are interesting. Uh, here in Washington D.C., around the um, the ballpark, the baseball stadium, they have containers as like mini bars for people go there before the games. It's like, you know, that maybe they cut out one half of the container and it's like this enclosed space where it's cool to have have a few uh, sips of uh, milk and cookies before you go into the ball game. So it, it is interesting how you can repurpose uh, some of these things. You mentioned your daughter. Yeah, that's cool. which, which brings me to another question about, um, and I know you're gonna, you know, shake this off. Legacy, like, do you ever think about your own legacy? Do you ever think about maybe who is watching you, and how you behave, in addition to maybe your family, or does that matter much to you? I think you have a family foundation and do some charity work, but do you think much about legacy? Um, you know, n not at all. Quite honestly, I don't really. You're too busy. Look at. And yeah, I'm very, very busy and, and, you know, not stopping to say, oh, you know, who's looking at this or what? It's just, you know, when you're trying to help people and you do good things, that's what you focus on, Adam. Yeah. You don't care about, you know, what other people are saying or thinking and, and whatever. And again, I'm very low key, try to stay out of the any kind of the limelight and just, you know, do my thing and, and help people, but uh, not wave the flag and saying, you know, here I am and see what I'm doing. And, and things like that. That's what I learned from my my dad is stay low key and, uh, you know, help people. Okay. So your dad did teach you some of this. I didn't know that. That's the first time we're covering this. So you got some of this ethos about not being in the limelight from your father. Yeah. I mean, he's, uh, you know, growing up, he would, he was very, very uh, philanthropic and charitable. And you know, when I'm in high school, he would call all my friends' fathers and ask for donations or mothers, whatever. And, embarrassing. <laughs> you know, I was cringing at him because I said, Dad, you know, how, how can you do this? It's so embarrassing, you know, right. asking for money from friends, you know, parents and things like that. And I think it was uh, United Healthcare, I don't know, whatever it was, but uh, he was doing great work. And then I didn't get it. You know, when you're a teenager, you got a lot of other things and you think your parents are... Uh, not kind of cool. Useless, not but cool. Yeah. Not yeah. uncool. Right? So right. This was a, a real life lesson to learn, you know, what he was doing. And now, you know, obviously, many years later, I, I get what he was doing, but it was very, very embarrassing. So, you know, I tried to learn from from him. I'm grateful that Calfi, Halter and Griswold has once again agreed to partner with us with offices in Ohio and Washington, D.C., this full-service national law firm focuses on all aspects of business and the law, including corporate and finance, intellectual property, and government relations. Let me be clear. I actually approach companies with whom I would like to partner. We just don't accept marketing dollars from anyone. I have been referring my CEO and entrepreneur friends to Calfi for years. I really believe in the firm. One of their notable practice areas is in mergers and acquisitions. And recently, for instance, I introduced a successful entrepreneur in the Midwest to Calfi when he told me that a European-based conglomerate wanted to buy his business. Calfi works with large corporations as well as privately held companies throughout the U.S. and Canada and in Europe and Asia, too. So whether it's selling your own business or the more routine needs of creating your first will or anything in between, 
This firm can really do it all in terms of legal needs. Once again, the firm is Calfee, Halter, and Griswold, and you can find them at calfee.com or on the UpTo Foundation website. You have so much to offer. Have you ever been like a guest lecturer at USC? I know uh, we both know the longtime dean of the business school there. Um, have you ever, I mean, if I was the head of a school, I'd have you come in and speak, if, if not legacy, just these these observations and these pursuits in your life are very valuable, probably even more than you realize to people who are 18, 20, 24, starting out their careers. Have you ever done anything like that? Yeah, so I've done, you know, a number of those things. And again, uh, you know, you mentioned the kind of the time suck and what happened was everybody, you know, wants to meet with me and, you know, I started that, but uh, then it got a little unwieldy where, you know, people and I had to, you know, I wanted to mentor, but I can't, I don't have the time, you know, right. to do it for multiple people. So uh, I do it a little and I do it, you know, with uh, kind of like a shark tank uh, program at uh, USC, fast. which is fun. Yeah, That's I get awesome. to, to watch all these new uh, companies that, that come out of uh, USC and they get to they get a prize and so we fund you know some of those types well, that, of things so that's that, interesting that's, so better yeah, that's one of my favorite things about you is also you're always exposing yourself to the newest in technology so i don't know if you're going to remember this but one year uh, I was hosting a dinner for stakeholders in the company that I was running, and you were a, a guest at the dinner, which was awesome because we were in Los Angeles at Mastro's, a, a place you first took me to, my favorite steakhouse in America. But anyway, uh, all these important people at the table, but you wowed them by uh, getting your phone and dropping it into a bowl. And now we all have waterproof or water-resistant phones. But at the time, everyone was like, what are you doing? Do you remember this? <laughs> I, I like, remember it because, you know, <laughs> I, I invested in that and still on the board of that company called Liquipel. And now they're doing, you know, multi-million dollars with uh, Walmart and Sam's and oh, things oh like gosh. that through other different uh, products. But uh, that was that was so much fun. And going to CES, which is in Vegas this week, and... You get to see all the new things. And I mean, you couldn't believe when oh, they went? dropped that phone in front of everybody, uh, you know, at CES is like, wow. But yeah. uh, that was so they were, you know, they were right there at the start. But, uh, you know, the Samsungs and the Apples, they, they wouldn't uh, wouldn't go with them. So they did their own thing. So they're still still doing it and making money. And uh, that was that was a fun What's your favorite? To, to do you have a favorite new technology? Like if we were having a dinner, what would you wow the table with right now? And I'm hoping you say something about hair loss prevention for men. But if not that, what else is it? No, um, it's uh, what I'm trying to think of some of the other things that I'm in, invested in. Uh, I mean, you showed know, you showed exciting. me those. Uh, what's the name of that store downstairs? We'll give them a little plug uh, in your building. Um, the um, the cool men's James clothing. Purse? Yeah, you told yeah, me in there one first. time, and you showed me like these unconstructed shoes, and I'm like, what, what on earth? But they're spectacular. I mean, you always have like the cool. One time you picked me up in a smart car when no one was driving smart cars yet. This is like 20 years ago. You're always like at the very right. beginning of cool things. Yeah, I mean, I I love, uh, you know, I'm a I'm on the cap table at SpaceX. Oh my so, God. of course you are. You Aren't know, you going to go up? Aren't you going to go up in one of the uh, you know private trips? You know, so what I tell everybody is that listen, you know, I can't even go on a roller coaster without throwing up right oh. now. So I can't go up to space. And everybody said, well, that's only you know a half hour or an hour. I said, I don't think I could survive because of the rotations and the oh, atmosphere the and things forces. like that. But, yeah, right. But, but that would be fun. But I mean, you know, SpaceX, I mean, say what you want about Elon Musk, you know, those satellites that he's, you know, producing are mm -hmm. going to be uh, spectacular. And I think that's the next uh, really liquidity event uh, for them uh, to yeah. go public there. And he needs, you know, some money for, you know, Tesla and things like that. But, you know, I always thought that was the coolest thing is to invest in space. Yes. And I uh, got an the opportunity. Space economy. Jumped at it. Uh, you know, here we go. So I'm looking at that and, you know, that that stock is split 10 to 1 and uh, obviously not liquid, but one day and I said to my friends, you know, Adam, 
that's a 20 year investment space. Mm. This mm. is not for the for the meek that, you know, is going to you know, make it in one year, five years, 10 years, right. literally 20 years to, to do that. And that's my uh, you know, thought process is long term, you yes. know, just hold. And I've held, you know, all my, you know, large cap stocks, you know, since the 70s and haven't sold them and, you know, clip coupons and dividends. And, you know, it looks like, you know, wasn't really down much for the year when the, mm. you know, the market crashed because I had, you know, oil and healthcare diversified, and, uh, yeah, right. and things like that. So I was diversified all over the place and not into cryptocurrency or, uh, <laughs> you know, these, these big growth, you know, kind of stocks. So I didn't really get hurt and just, you know, slow and steady. And I know everybody says, you know, that's so boring, but uh, it's worked for me. Well, it's worked for you because you're slow and steady, maybe with your public equity investing, but you're not slow and steady with your private investing when you're investing you know, in these technologies right. in the in the private sector. But you mentioned space. The last time I was in your favorite town of Las Vegas, I went to a space conference, actually, the space economy specifically. And one thing that I learned about there, John, and, and maybe you've already learned a little bit about this, but there's some companies that are looking at uh, 3D printing in space because I guess one of the biggest uh, points of friction or inefficiency with 3D printing here on Earth is gravity. So in a context where there's less gravity pull, could 3D printing be even more efficient? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's fascinating to me. And uh, again, you, you got to come to you got to come to CES and see what they're doing. A friend of mine brought over, you know, the, the new glasses and, you know, I had them way before with uh, Facebook and Samsung, you know, with the goggles and, and things like that. Virtual you reality. You put them on in your app. office. I don't know if you remember this, right. but I, remember? I put them on five years ago. We were with the ambassador in your office. You were, yeah, so you were that, I think you were literally called a Samsung ambassador or something. You were like a, an official promoter of the product. Weren't right. you? I, you know, my friend of mine, Kevin Kunkel, was the president of Sprint. And, you know, he brought over, you know, some of these goggles. And it's just so, so cool, so fascinating to see this new technology. Right. And a friend of mine just brought over, when, last weekend, he brought over, you know, regular glasses, you know, that instead of the goggles, but uh, they had some bugs in it, but it was very cool because um, it was just like your sunglasses mm. and it was attached to your phone and you could download, you know, these experiences. So that thing is coming and I don't know if it's, you know, goggles or glasses or whatever, but that's going to be the next big thing. So can't wait. Yeah. yeah. One company we've invested in full disclosure called Augmetics. It allows doctors. If I'm the doctor and you're the patient and you're showing me how your shoulder hurts, it, allows for the doctor to just look at you and not be populating a medical record. And the medical record is then populated just by the words coming out of your mouth and the visuals that the glasses are seeing. It's amazing. So, cause doctors have to waste so much time with paperwork and they always complain about that. So imagine if there's just more patient doctor time. So yeah, who knows where these um, wearables will take us, but it, it's exciting to think about. Yeah, I think I'm a big proponent of telemedicine, Adam. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. it's just like what we're doing, you know, on this podcast and things like that. You know, right. what's the future hold for for telemedicine? So that huge uh, category. That to me is very, very exciting. I don't know yeah. where it's going, but uh, you know, people should be taking advantage of that because you know the the doctors just can't, you know, with concierge medicine and things like that. They, they, there's not not enough hours in the day. Yeah, there's uh, not enough nurses, so there's not enough beds. I mean, there's, there's the demographics in America, there's a tidal wave of aging population, people living longer, that we just don't have enough physicians and nurses and technicians. You're, you're right about that. You know, you, you've been generous with your time, and I, I hear your phone ringing. I'm sure uh, this is, um, you know, a, a rare 45 or an hour that you usually don't spend, and I think it might even be your first podcast ever. So we're so grateful you did that. But if, if I could ask one more question, John, you're always happy, or at least you seem like to me, you're always happy. And I'm, you're a human being, so I'm sure you have down days, but you always seem to be up. Do you ever like reflect backwards on your life and think about like maybe the 21 year old version of yourself, like 
would have you done anything differently? Um, should have you taken this one turn instead of this other turn? Or if you could give your younger self any advice, what would it be? You know, my, my wife says to me, you know, your life is great. And why shouldn't your life be great, Adam? And, you know, looking back, I've had, you know, lots of opportunities. My father brought me over the head of, to the head of Goldman Sachs in New York and, you know, could have gone the private equity, you know, route. And, you know, obviously you've seen a lot of people make a lot of wealth in, in those kind of companies, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, things like that. But, you know, I chose my, you know, my path and uh, no regrets no looking back. And again, you know, my motto is uh, life is great and, you know, make sure that it's great. So every day, you know, I come into this office, which I love, and I come in smiling because I have so much diversification. I -hmm. get to, you know, talk to people in sports and business and real estate and retail and restaurants and, you know, getting to do some of these, you know, magazines and now trying to figure out this digital you know, community. And, uh, and look at your smile though. You do that with with fun and anticipation. I love that smile. And you, you mentioned all the different industries you're in. And I'm reminded that one time you even told me, cause you're not really in show business, uh, as much as people who are full-time in show business, but of course you had a cameo on my favorite show ever entourage. Of course you were in entourage. Yeah. That's, that's funny story. I just pulled this out. Um, so, you know, here, sitting here in uh, Los Angeles, you get these uh, screeners, you know, Academy screeners and all my friends that are in the business, you know, we would go over their house and watch the screeners. And, and I was so jealous. So, you know, how do you, how do you get those screeners, right? So I can watch them and not, you know, go over their house and, and all the other stuff. And they said, well, you, you got to get a SAG card. I said, oh, okay. A so, SAG card, know, a Screen Actors Guild card. Green Actors Guild, yeah, card. Okay. So I said, okay. So I started talking, you know, some people and a friend of mine said, oh, we're, we're doing this movie, right, coming out and it's a, a horror film and we can give you some lines. I said, oh, this is so exciting. And it was, uh, I, I show it to you here, but it, I just pulled this out. It's, it was called, you know, Locksmith. Okay. So he uh, gives me this whole thing and there's uh so you got the, the card there. though so you joined the screen actors guild as no no, no so here's what happened i'm going right. to tell you the story so this locksmith and again these guys i'm sure you've seen again it's uh Jason. kane hooder from uh, oh yeah right and yeah this guy friday the 13th uh, oh yeah of course that's friday the whole, the i mean this is the horror movie hall of fame right there so, yeah, so Freddy Krueger and uh, Friday the 13th and, you know, all these people. And sure enough. Oh, my gosh. The unofficial mayor of Eden Locks, John Bentheim. Right. And then Entourage so is in was, your byline. You know, exactly. So, you know, it was a walk on. Unbelievable. No, uh, no lines and things like that. So that was my big, you know, dream in oh, the entertainment funny. business to, you know, get this card and to act in that. And what happened was, um, I forget what happened, but it was Columbine or one of those, you know, uh, where they were shooting up kids back east and things like that. And they said, we can't make this horror film because you're the mayor in this auditorium. And this guy oh. comes in and wipes out the entire, you know, people in the, uh, in the auditorium. So they couldn't show that. And so the, the movie never got made. I never got my SAG card, but oh there I gosh. was with Freddie Krueger and all these guys, Adam. It was, you know, a dream. It's not you know, too late. You true. can get into it, another movie. It's not too late. You can get into another movie. Yeah, you we'll know, make I'm that sure happen. my friends, would, my friends would, would let me do that. But, uh, you know, it's no, no big deal now. They're you know what I love is that things. you didn't know I was going to ask that question or bring up Entourage, but you pull it right, you know exactly where it is on your desk to pull it right out like it's a, a perfect prop for the situation. See, you're, you're made for show business. I mean, that was perfect. Yeah, I mean, that's a tricky business, as you know. Good band. Yeah. I don't think I've, you know, cut out for that. But I certainly, you know, in this town, you know, 
all the producers and actors and you know you're trying to be with you know good quality people so uh, i found some you know great friends that are down to earth in, in that business but it's uh, it's a lot of fun and everybody talks about that like when i was in entourage the movie you know for whatever five ten seconds walking on beverly hills because there's there's john benheim unbelievable you know, with, the, with the entourage crew so that was uh that was my what is it thirty sec five seconds of fame or something at that awesome. point. Awesome, but it's fun, and that's you know how you lead your life, Adam, because you do fun things. And again, I didn't get paid or anything like that, but it was just so much fun. And right. you know, who knows what could have happened if they made that film and whatever. <laughs> but uh, all kinds John, of opportunities. So they go. John, uh, you mentioned you try to surround yourself with high quality people. I definitely need to do that because of how little I know in life and you have enhanced my life so much and continue to do so, including today on this program. So thank you for taking a risk and being on the show and trusting us to do this. Uh, really grateful for your time today and for your friendship. Yeah, no, the one good thing is that I'm a great judge of character. So, you know, I've been wrong in all my, uh, my business dealings, I get to pick my uh, investors and basically I've only had one bad investor for all these years. So I've done pretty, pretty well. But, uh, you know, you I've admired and, I, you know, you are, you know, again, not slow and steady, but you are an honorable man. And uh, I think your word means a lot when you say it. And those are the kind of people that I surround myself with is, you wow. know, a handshake or things like I can I can know who the good guys are and who are the jerks. And mm. uh, that's, that's fun and you can you know, learn from that, but you're gonna get burned. Everybody is never right. perfect. I'm sure right. you've lost you know, on certain deals and you've had some, sure. you know, some jerks you know, with you, and, but you learn that and uh, hopefully you won't make those, uh, those right. uh, choices again. Well, I've learned a lot today and our listeners have too. The, the program's theme is leaders who are as humble as they are successful and your humility has come out in pretty much everything we've talked about today. So John, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Adam and take care. I look forward to seeing you in LA. Got to get out there. We'll okay. get you here for the uh, world cup or the Olympics or something fun before that. Definitely. Thank you. Time now for the up to mailbag on the episode featuring Jim McKelvey, artist, technologist, and public servant. Jean-Claude writes in another excellent podcast from Adam. Listening to Jim McKelvey's original ideas is refreshing. I already downloaded his new app Invisibly, and I'm looking forward to using it. Thanks, Jean-Claude. And on the episode featuring Shelby Scarborough, Sam writes in, really love listening to your conversation. Great guest, great topic. Felt like I was in the room with you both. How readily you've established report was readily apparent. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for the feedback. And don't forget, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the Up To Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe via your podcast platform of choice. To receive our newsletter, suggest speakers, and give your candid feedback, please email Adam directly at adam at uptofoundation.org. We would love to hear from you. The Up To Podcast is produced by BLC Digital Strategies, a full content creator company located right outside of the nation's capital in Tysons, Virginia. See you next time.